Romans chapter 8. I'm going to give us a running start by starting at verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, you are in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. That's a very powerful statement right there, verse 11. It speaks about the very true essence of what sanctification, righteousification, justification is. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, who's that? That would be God. God, yes. Technically speaking, in the Trinitarian formula, God the Father. Mm-hmm. This is another one of those places where you've got all three persons present, isn't it? If the spirit of him, the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And just think about that. The spirit, the pneuma in Greek. The Holy Spirit, pneuma. The, the spirit of him, the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead, who brought Jesus back to life, who returned Jesus to our presence, who communicates Christ to our presence today. He who brought Jesus back to life, the Holy Spirit. If that spirit... That spirit dwells in you. If that spirit dwells in you, then what power ultimately does the old man of sin have? Ultimately. It's not a rhetorical question. None. 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 Ultimately, none. Right. Now, Soma, the body... And Sark's, the flesh, is powerful. That Sark's part is extremely powerful. The nature of sin resident within it is very powerful and gives us trouble. But the good news is that we have dwelling within us the very same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. That's what he's saying here. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and he does, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also. We we are mortal, we are failing, we are sinners. Our bodies are corruptible. They will die. And yet, just as Jesus was raised from the dead, so also our sinning, corruptible, mortal bodies can and are given life. Also, through his spirit that dwells in you. This is the core essence of the transformational experience that is promised to us when we live in faith. When we live a life of faith focused on Christ, the Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead comes to dwell within us. And if that Spirit can raise Jesus from the dead, and it did, then we can be assured of knowing that we will be raised from the dead both spiritually and in a true sense physically too. Just as Christ, there's, a, there's an old principle within Christian theology that goes back very early in Christian thought, and that's the, the parallelism. As Christ, so Christians. As was true with Christ, so is or will be true with Christians. 
Hence, we are to be transformed and remade over into greater and greater likenesses of Christ Jesus in his perfection. Until finally we are perfect as Christ is perfect. Likewise, we may live in a dead and dying a body of death. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death cry that Paul has? We live in this body here and now, but through Christ Jesus... We can know release from the body of this death. Release from the power and forces uh, that, that would draw us down, that would force our uh, attention on the things of death, on the things of this mortal sinning body. It seems like you'd be excited about dying from this body. Uh, yes, and at one point Paul actually asks that question. And addresses the issue and says it is better for his people, for the churches that he pastors, to remain in the flesh, to remain alive and be pastoring them. But he'd rather go on to heaven. And there is a sense in which, I'm reminded of some of the things my grandmother used to say back before she lost her mind. Um, that she had lived her course. She had lived a full, long life. She loved God. She had absolutely no fears as to what was coming next. She had full trust in Jesus. And she'd rather go on to be with him. And was not in the least bit afraid. That's kind of that attitude. We had my mother resuscitated once, she was mad. She was mad. Oh, yeah. yeah. The hard part was over, already over with, and <laughs> you went and ruined it for me. She, oh, she was angry. Don't ever do that again. This is not, it's not, yeah. It's not a death wish, but it's a recognition that to live in the spirit is superior to living in the flesh. If the spirit of him, the father, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and he does, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life. That word there is the Greek word zoe. And life is more than physical. Zoe means more than just physical existence. It means vibrancy. You can have physical existence and be spiritually dead. Zoe has a specific meaning. It is life and vibrancy and zest and joy, excitement, energetic living. You could think of it as me. And when I mean energetic, I mean spiritual. it's, It's a zesty living. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life, zoe, to your mortal bodies also. To your thanata somata, your dying body. This one says your death doomed. Death doomed. It used that term earlier. Death doomed. Tathanata somata. The dying body. Also. Through his spirit. Now it doesn't just come. You don't generate it. This is critical. You don't generate it yourself. You don't make it yourself. You don't gin it up within yourself. It's not a pulling up by your bootstraps type thing. It's through... His spirit that dwells in you. You don't do it yourself. You don't whip it up within yourself. It's the Holy Spirit that does it within you. Okay, I was wondering how you did that. You don't do it yourself. Well, okay. like people who are you co-op, you, stuff, they you, don't right. have that spiritual energy. They don't have the ability to do that. In the sense, right. we're all caught in that. Dilemma. Mm-hmm. You, you have to have the spirit within you for this to happen. And for this to happen, you have to have the spirit in you. Um, where, how does it start? 
It starts through a simple act of faith, trusting in Jesus, placing your trust in him, that he who raised Jesus from the dead will raise you from both spiritual and physical death. Did Jesus already have the Holy Spirit in him as before the dove lighted on him or whatever? The, How does that work? Okay, the, the, yes. <laughs> uh, the baptism that we read about on Sunday in worship, the baptism of Jesus isn't where he receives the Holy Spirit. It is where he is identified as being the Son of God. It's not where he's given the Holy Spirit as sometimes it is thought of being. It is where God says, this is he. Hey, John, this is him. It's like it's coming out party. Yeah, it's coming out party. Yeah. In a real sense. Hey, John. Hey, Bueller. Bueller. It's here. This is him. This is the Son of God. So John didn't know that before? Uh, Yes and no. And it wasn't just for John. It's for the reader of the Gospels. It's for the reader of the Gospels. At first, John said, no, no. And then he realized, then he said, I can't baptize you. You ought to be baptizing me. Yeah. And no. Mark doesn't give all that detail. He just tells the story outright. As I said, the brevity. And the Gospel of Mark is refreshing in some sense. Because it just just the facts, man. Just the facts. It's the, it's the Friday version of the Gospel. Just the facts, man. So one could say that Jesus already obviously had the Spirit in him, and that was for the rest that of the was, year. That was in his conception. If we're where the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, and she conceived in her womb Jesus. If his conception was brought by the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Spirit then was within him from the beginning. And if we're going to try to be more Christ, you know, you were just saying the analogy, the parallelisms. Yes. Then we're going to be more Christ-like, but we don't have any Spirit injecting us from the very beginning as Jesus did. So we've got to try to attain that Holy Spirit level. The Spirit comes... Not from the beginning. Well... We're born in sin, I thought. We, we talk... We talk about, right, we talk about being baptized by water in the Spirit, being baptized in the Holy Spirit and what that means. Jesus didn't receive the Holy Spirit at his baptism, but we proclaim through, through the act of baptism, for example, the outward and visible sign of what is already inward and spiritually true. That the Holy Spirit is alive and present in the life of the believer. The Holy Spirit is given. And there are some denominations which say, well, you have to have various fruit of the Spirit. And then they, you know, our friends in the Assemblies of God say, you've got to speak in tongues to prove you've got the Holy Spirit. And if you don't speak in tongues, you don't have it. Well, that's bonkers, but that's what they say. Uh, there are other gifts of the Spirit that are equal, if not superior, to the gift of tongues. And faith is principle among them and that is a gift itself so when you exercise faith you're exercising a gift of God's grace to begin with that empowers faith and then to which God adds more faith and when you exercise faith in Jesus Christ the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you it's as simple as that it sounds like we have to do more than Jesus we, to, to emulate him. We, re, we have to respond to Jesus. We well, have to respond. He already, has, he already had the Holy Spirit in him. He already had the Holy Spirit in him. But how can we talking about, You're talking about in order to have the Spirit with exactly. us. Exactly. It sounds like we're in that respect. We have to receive. Right. We have to receive the gift. Right. And he already had it. He had the gift. Okay. I just want to make sure. I'm we have to receive it. I'm sorry? The starting point is different. Correct. What he's saying. That's because of the overshadowing of, of Mary in, in, as you read it in the birth narrative in Luke's gospel. Mary has to be overshadowed for the child to be born to be called holy. 
so that sin does not communicate. I mean, some people say, well, this concept of original sin starts with Augustine. No, it doesn't. It starts with Luke. <laughs> it starts in one of the Gospels where he talks about the necessity for Mary to be overshadowed so that, so that her humanity can, become, can come to Jesus but not her, the sinfulness. That's why the Roman Catholic Church is wrong when they talk about Mary being immaculately conceived herself, i.e. conceived without sin. The, what Augustine bequeathed to the church is this stupid idea that sex and, be, and, and begetting is the essence of, of original sin. That's a load of bonkos. That's not true. Begetting is not the root of, of, of original sin. And so if you gave up sin, you give up the human rights in that scenario. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, not, that's, that's wrong. Augustine was wrong in that respect. He is right in the sense that there is a defect within human beings that is transmitted just as we would transmit to use modern concepts just as we transmit our genetic code and that genetic code determines what you, the kind of physical being you will be uh, so also communicated to us from our parents is the bent to sin that original sin idea. Could and you say that that would be passed down through the male then, not necessarily the Well, that's the theory. That's, that. that's the tradition. You could say that, but you'd be an error. And the, and the problem with that is, is that um, then the textual reference for Mary being overshadowed by the Holy Spirit loses its strength. What did Luke mean by that? The Holy Spirit will overshadow you, and therefore the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God, unquote. What did he mean by that? What did the angel mean when he says that to her? And the most ancient interpretations of this seem to be, and it looks like Luke uses it the same way, seems to be that there is an aspect of Mary that had to be shielded from the conception of Jesus in order for Jesus to be the Son of God. What that is, we don't know. And of course, that then raises the age-old question. We've addressed it before. I don't think we have here, which is uh, in his conception, in, in the conception of Jesus, what is he? Is he a, is he a clone of Mary? Or is is he the product? I mean, think about it. Mm -hmm. Is is did God clone Mary in her womb and just change the gender, which can be done, change the gender to male? Well, that's, oh, that's just getting too deep. <laughs> or, or think about that. Or. There are, there are really, I mean, this is somewhat, this is not just modern speculation here. This has been on, going on for a long time. It's just that we've developed greater precision in how they ask the questions. The, the, the options are, did God clone Mary, in, convert the, the, the zygote into male, so that it, it would be Jesus and not Jacqueline or whatever. <laughs> um, uh, did that happen? Or did God clone Adam, the first human? Let us make man in our own image. And insert that, whatever that is, into Mary, so she sort of gets an in vitro fertilization type event. And, and scripture talks about Adam being the first Adam. Adam, and Jesus being the second Adam, or the last Adam. Both second and last are used. The third is that it's exactly as with a human being. Mary provided the female portion of the genetic code, and God, the Father, whatever that means, through the power of the Holy Spirit, provided the masculine half of the genetic code. I'm picking that one. <laughs> <laughs> which would which is which is uh, 
that um, that's fascinating because it, it then it, it 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 brings up the question you know God and man fully God and fully man in both aspects is Jesus just is Jesus as man in his humanity and God in his divinity and is not the humanity also divine and is not the divine also in some sense also man? Yep. <laughs> You're gonna go. Isn't that weird? Um, and and uh, you can uh, yeah, I know you can drive yourself crazy doing this. Um, I I don't have an answer. I tend to like the idea that God inserted into Mary the second Adam, but at the same time, I like the idea that that the humanity of his descendancy from David through all of those generations i mean why have why have the his line traced from his father and his mother in luke in in, in matthew and in luke why why do that you know joseph's line one side mary's line the other side why do all of that if there's not something of mary of the human descendant line in Jesus. And if he said that it would be a descendant, mm-hmm. then there, there must be. Yeah. And, and some people, well, what did Joseph have to do with it? Well, it's either Joseph, the adoptive dad of Jesus, in which case there is a conversion just a few generations back between Mary and him, uh, or it's some other Joseph that is also related to Mary and there's been a lot of speculation that that's actually Joseph of Arimathea but that's another topic for another conversation <laughs> another set of reference points so um, don't the other gospels the other gospels not just what's reported in the Bible they don't say anything about the only gospel that speaks birth, about the only gospel that speaks about Jesus about there's two of them there's what's called the Protoevangelium of James and there's the infancy gospel of Thomas, and both of those address Jesus's uh, birth. And both of them describe it as a virgin birth, as a divinely empowered birth, and we get a lot of information about Joseph being an older fellow with, who, who had been married before and had kids from that marriage, including James, um, uh, from those sources. Okay. They don't give us any more details than what we about this issue, <laughs> nothing, uh, than what we already have in the Gospels. Um, something had to happen there in the process of the conception. Mary is still important in the process, but she's overshadowed, not done away with. And she's more than just a carrier. So I kind of struggle. I have not made up my mind. The idea of it being a clone of Mary just without sin is fascinating. The idea of her of it being some kind of a divine in vitro fertilization with Adam's uh, zygote being inserted is, is also fascinating. And the idea that it's a blend between some divinely created genetic code and Mary's is also fascinating. But I haven't made up my mind. So all that, that long parallelation is to say, I don't know. <laughs> uh, Are you giving a lot of credence, though? It's or well I'm, informed, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> that's really a well informed. It shows well that informed I, it, 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 it almost depends on what side of the bat I get up on as to which one I believe. Well, you've got, I you've got Isaiah. If, if you do what I would want to be careful of, I have to be careful of, is revisionist-type thinking to prove Isaiah. Sure. Yeah. And that's that's where the credence of David's line comes from, right? In part, yeah, in part. I mean, real heavy, powerful portion. It's one of the places, yeah. Isn't there other religions that have virgin births? Isn't there a lot of religions that have virgin births? Uh, yes and no. Where the, where the, the God, whatever it was, impregnated oh, yeah. and produced? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, the so Romans all. So what... what why is this so different in history if there's so many of them that because none of them about none of those other characters who are claimed virgin births uh, walked and talked 
taught us about the love of God and then stood in the breach and died for us, was buried and then raised from the dead for us and, and ascended into heaven and is with us here still today. Uh, it's the particular who it is that's being referenced. Now, those who have trouble with concepts of virgin birth look upon the whole concept, the whole theological idea as being a way of talking about the presence of God in this Jesus person. That this is an affirmation of the early church of Jesus being the real presence of God with us in whatever that means. I tend to believe the, the concept, but it's important because God was in Christ. And it was this God who was in Christ who then reconciles the world to himself. Who, who comes, who, who shows us the love of God by dying for us and being raised for us. Now, we pulled all that out of verse 11. I don't know how. That spirit thing I do it every time. Yeah, you were asking about spirit. Jesus having the spirit in him, and that spirit comes from the incarnation itself. We're just a deep group. <laughs> We've done it before. I don't think we did it on this issue. So then, verse. let's move on into the material. Verse 12. I'm sorry to say I wasn't going to have a question. Over you have a, okay, ask the question. When it talks about making us alive, Oh, and actually, King James talks about quickening the mortal body. Mm -hmm. Do you think that is referring to a, a spiritual um, or or a license to claim a promise for physical healing? So is it or, or both? Okay, I, I my answer is predicated within what I said earlier on. I really think that this speaks principally about sanctification. A spiritual. However, it does speak, there is an aspect of it which speaks to physical. I don't think it's principle, but I do think it's there. I do think it's there because Jesus' resurrection was more than just spiritual. Its impact on us is more than just spiritual. So while it may have for us functionally here a, a principal spiritual component, there is, there is another layer in there which is physical, which speaks about our physical resurrections in all that that means. Healing and wholeness in this life, the next life, yes. So the answer is yes, both. But principally spiritual. Second, Daryl. I think that flows better, given the whole it battle does. of the old man, the new man. It does, because the context here has always been the point of, of, of the spiritual. And how do you overcome the nature of sin within us? Well, the ultimate overcoming of the nature of sin within us is our death, physical death, and, and resurrection. Okay? And so the spiritual component is parallel to the physical, but the spiritual comes first and I think is more important. Well, he's, he, he's got spirit the only time in here anyway. In verse 10, I hate to go back forward okay. in verse 10. Right. But he's got spirit non -cap The first time it's not capitalized. It's capitalized uh, everywhere else. Okay, in your translation where it mm -hmm. says, but if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life, that spirit. Is alive because of that righteousness thing, you, that sanctification thing you were yeah. talking about. That spirit, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And yeah, this translation is the time it's not capitalized. In mine, it's capital. You have to be careful about English translations, capitalizations as opposed to non-capitalizations. The word is the same exact word here, pneuma. It's the same referent. And I would say it needs to be, be capitalized. Your translators probably didn't capitalize it because it's the more generalized affirmation of, the, of, the, of your spirit. Exactly. Is how what they're thinking. understanding it, but I think they're wrong. I think they're wrong. I think it should be, I think it ought to be capitalized. So that would be Holy Spirit as far as you're concerned. Uh, yes. Because, because when Paul uses pneuma like this, 
And in this context, especially, especially where it says "toda numa zoe," uh, the the spirit of life, uh, you, you re, it, it's the spirit of life is the Holy Spirit. Yeah, not make sense. Not me. some generalized spirit, live, spiritual living, which is how that would kind of yeah, intend. Yeah, exactly. So I I would really lean heavily in terms of cap- capitalizing that that spirit. If you're, if that's your, if that's your nomenclature in translating to indicate Holy Spirit without having to write holy, then do it. Then do it. Oh, you brought me holy water. Thank you. <laughs> and it's hot holy water. Hot holy water. We've got this combination now. It's nice and strong holy water, but hold a spoon up on it. Just about. Wow. <laughs> I want to make sure that brings Zoe. That brings death. Another <laughs> kind of spirit. Huh? We can get it one way or another. Uh-huh. We're, we're glad you didn't give that up for Lent. No, oh, I don't give up coffee for Lent. I learned a long time ago. My churches are very thankful that I don't give up coffee for Lent. Uh, I used to joke that I gave up sex for Lent, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> that doesn't work. You know, that does, saying that one doesn't work anymore. Okay. Um, <laughs> I right. like that I one a lot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any more questions about uh, 9, 10, or 11? So then, brothers. Sisters. Are there four? Well, I wanted to address that. Oh, okay. It, uh, I agree. I agree that in verse 12, where it says Adelphoi, the reference here is not just to the guys there in Rome. He's not just writing to the guys there. So I do agree that in terms of meaning here, when he says, so then, brothers, we are debtors, he's not just saying to the guys. Is brethren generic? I mean, Adelphoi. But is the word brethren. When is I read brethren, I just meant... Family. Okay, that's what that I helps mean. actually. That's where the old English helps better. Yeah. Brethren. Brethren. Well, I think it's more mean. General. Well, yeah. yeah Although I, I took to saying brethren and sistren. But but the meaning in, uh, brethren in old English did mean both genders, and. Adelphoi at this point in time could be specifically, depending on context, could be your physical male brothers at the table or in your family or whatever. But when the reference is nonspecific, it's almost always generic. Hence, brethren concept. Modern English is really, really, really lost the ability to communicate both genders with brothers as a, that's either fortunate or unfortunate and I really don't care the NRSV gives this so then brothers and sisters that's an example it is, that's correct that is a good uh, uh, dynamic equivalent translation of the meaning of Adelphoi here but literally it's simply so then brothers meaning brethren hello Christian Fellow Christians, my my friends in Christ. I have one translation. It follows my friends, <laughs> and that's okay. That gets the idea across too. It's a little weaker, but it does get the idea across. My fellow Christians works really well. Brothers and sisters works too. The NRSV will sometimes do that so frequently it becomes annoying to me. Um, he hasn't. They haven't done it though. In the entire chapter. Therefore, I would t- lean towards actually doing it there. But literally, it says, Ara un Adelphoi. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh. We are under an obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. 
For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption when we, pr- when we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy. It is that very spirit bearing witness within our spirit that we are children of God. Now, I'm gonna, uh, even though I'm in, in the middle of a sentence, I'm going to stop. Because we might not make it beyond verse 16. <laughs> um, uh, question, on, I'm curious how the NIV handles the capitalizations of spirit here, beginning in verse 13. It's all of them are capitalized there. All of them? The first passage we have is, yeah. I have lowercase in 15 for the King James. Okay, lowercase in 15. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Lowercase in 15. Yeah. Receive a. 15 is lower. 15 is lower. Yeah. I have, I have captain 15. And in this case, that's correct. <laughs> because of what it says. It has the indefinite article A implied by grammar. So, verse 15. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery. A spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. Uh, that spirit is in caps. I have those. That one's in, in caps, caps and yours. One is not. And one, the first one is not. not. And then the second one but is. But the spirit of adoption yeah. is? Yes. Fascinating. That's right. See? Yeah. Because I. I would argue that the grammatical construction requires here that while the Holy Spirit is the one that brings the spirit of adoption, the spirit of adoption here is its own thing, not the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. This one doesn't have it at all. What is it? Okay, I want to just I want to hear yours, but I, just give me a That's minute okay. here. For let's look, let's pull it back just a bit though. If you lit verse thirteen, well, verse four, verse twelve. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors. We are under an obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. We're not to call to live according to the flesh. So that's not where the obligation, that's not where our debt lies. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. I want to make sure you get I mean, how many times has he said that? He has been pounding this in. Boom. And there's a reason for that. Because he's trying to point out the futility of trying to save yourself by works righteousness, by trying to do good in order to build up a ledger of brownie points with God, because he has equated that to living in the flesh. In Galatians, he equates that to Abraham and Hagar in the tent. <laughs> That's in Galatians. Wow. <laughs> Um, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. If you live according to your sinful nature, you will die. If you try to save yourself by your own abilities, you will die. It's the same thing, in a sense. Just one looks better than the other. <laughs> yeah, you know, it really does. <laughs> but if by the Spirit, capital Spirit, you put to death... Mm. If, <laughs> if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body and that's implied negative deeds, sins uh, mis- this says misdeeds misdeeds so. yeah. um, uh, it, it could be anything including your attempts to save yourself but it in principally means misdeeds, deeds of the body sins you will live if you do that by the Spirit. Not by your own ability, not by your own capability to say, okay, I'm just not going to do it anymore. Well, yeah, right, good luck. (laughs) (laughs) For all who are led by the Spirit of God, that definitely should be capitalized, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Just curious. So we got pneumatitheo. Yeah, absolutely. 4, verse 15. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. Now, if it said 
ha-numatai, the spirit of adoption, I would tend to say that's Holy Spirit referent. That's what it translates. Yeah, here too. In the New King Jimmy. And in the NIV, the spirit of sonship. The, T-H-E, spirit of sonship. Rotterham doesn't like you, son. NASB says A spirit, lowercase. The Greek, it's the exact same parallel construction. It's the same parallel construction. A spirit of slavery, a spirit of adoption. The spirit, a spirit of adoption is that which the Holy Spirit brings. So it's that deposit within us that the Holy Spirit brings. That's how I read this. It is brought by the Holy Spirit, and I'm not going to quibble over capitalizations there, but the parallel structure and the grammatical character of the sentence says that both of them should have the indefinite article and Mine should be A. Z in both places, but the first oh, is lowercase oh, no. and the second is uppercase. There's no single, there is no definite article in the sentence in connection with pneumatai. Do you want me to elabete pneuma douloes. Pneuma douloes is the spirit, a spirit of adoption. If there is no definite article there and the grammatical construction is as is, is i.e. genitive case, it has to be an indefinite article supplied in English. Uh, I, so it I, should be A in both places. It should be A in both places. It should be A in, in both places. Because that is, it's, it's, you do not receive a spirit of slavery. Well, that's definitely not that pneuma there. It's definitely not the Holy Spirit. It's talking about an a, a, a attitude or an approach of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received a spirit of adoption, that which the Holy Spirit gives to us. When we call, when we uh, let's stop there. And I just tried to point out it's not just an ordinary kind of spirit, it is the ultimate that you receive and not just. And, and that would be the ground upon which capitalizing spirit there is right. appropriate. Right. I still would say you shouldn't put the in front of it. Okay. If you want to read that whole part of that. Verse 15, mm-hmm. for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. Go on. When we cry, Abba, Father. Okay, mine translates it, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out. By whom we cry out. Which makes it... Hmm. A direct reference. Yeah, the, the NASB Spirit. says, by which we cry out. Let me look at the construction. This is, and by him we cry. <laughs> My name is whereby we cry. Whereby we cry. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is by him we cry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what NIV says. In, uh, in o krasumen abba hapater. In the time in which we cry, Abba Father, it is that very spirit, capitalized Numa, bearing witness with our spirit, lowercase, that we are children of God. It's a complete sentence. The Does it imply order? In other words, that you cry? When we have the spirit of a... I did it to myself. When we have a spirit of adoption, i.e. the Holy Spirit's gift of adoption within us, that solves it. Hey, Paul, let's let's get you to change your text here, okay? <laughs> Could have been nicer and cleaner here, but he was trying to be parallel construction. When we have the Holy Spirit's gift of the spirit of adoption within us, it is then that we cry, Abba, Father. And at that point, it is the very spirit, Holy Spirit, bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Okay, this commentary thing of the NIV that you and I have is trying to point out, the commentary is pointing out, I don't know how off base they are, that the adoption is huge, it's in the Bible four times, that word, underlying word. They're calling it, they're saying that we're adopted uh, by God through the faith, okay, in His grace, 
through our faith in his grace. That's the adoption they're talking about where Jesus was not. And that kind of Jesus is not mind. adopted. Exactly. And they're saying that's pointing that out. And that's what this whole thing is about. And that's why you have little spirit verses. We are adopted. Jesus is not. Jesus has the Holy Spirit by virtue of nature of incarnation. We do not. We are therefore adopted and then we receive that Holy Spirit. And it is that Holy Spirit which resonates within us when we cry out, Daddy, Daddy, to God. Right. Um, I'm just reading it in Greek and it's two separate sentences. But I mean, I'm I'm letting the 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 tra- the the editor's addition of punctuation here in the Greek influence me. I'd have to read it without that. Just a second. So you're saying the second sentence starts with "whereby we are exclaiming, Abba, Father, the Spirit itself bears." Just a second. I'm sorry. What did you say? Is that, are you saying that the sentence actually starts? Yeah. Let me read it to you in Greek. Yeah. Um, Verse 15, for you, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption, period. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Two separate sentences. That makes sense. And that's how I read it in the Greek. That's how the NRSV renders it. The new, new the NASB does something similar, but they do kind of link it a little closer. They, they, they make it they they make it into one sentence, but they make it a compound sentence in doing so. When we uh, and, and notice the versification splits the sentence. I mean, splits uh, splits the whole the sentence in half. When we cry, "Abba, Father," it is that very spirit bearing witness to our spirit that we are children of God, the versification split, which is really late, uh, splits that sentence in half. Most translations tend to uh, (laughs) tend to ignore it too. Mine starts that sentence the spirit himself bears witness. Mm -hmm. The spirit himself? Mm -hmm. Starts 16. Auto to pneuma. Uh, Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, that that would be uh, the very same spirit, the same spirit himself, himself provided by the grammar of Auto. It is that very spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If in fact we suffer with Him. Oh. Paul, I was really buying into this. I was really buying into it. And then you had to screw it up. And if children, then heirs. Yeah, we're heirs. Heirs of God. Yeah, yeah well, who else would you want? Better than being heir of Bill Gates. <laughs> heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. I, yeah, he, that makes Jesus our brother. That sounds good to me. If in fact, oh Paul, if in fact we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. You had me going there, Paul. I was really happy. I was going to town and then you got to run my whole Sunday. Well, can we have a little less glory and a little less sharing too? What's what's going on? (laughs) I mean, I can go with give give up some glory if I'm going to get some. Well, if you're going to get to be an heir of God, you got to suffer too. Got to suffer. <laughs> oh, oh that is uh, thank you, Paul. Thank you ever so. We're, we're an heir, yes. but we have to suffer to be glorified with Christ, because there are heirs that get the estate, and there are heirs that get cut off. You're right. I'm going to go for the lotto. Okay. And if chi- uh, NASB, and if children heirs also heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. If we suffer with Him, we will be glorified with Him. So it just depends on where you tie that. If we suffer with Him, too, do you tie it to the first part of that sentence, or do you tie it to the last part? 
I've just had enough of the suffering. <laughs> <laughs> you are going to be so glorified, darling. You know? Hey, if the more you suffer, the better you're going to be. <laughs> hey, the more glorified you're going to be. Hey, that was so, the right? early church said that, that you, you know, you, you suffer. As Christ suffered, you're going to get to have the goodies that Christ has. Well, my ever life, ever after life, ought to be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it can't be much worse. Here we go. It gets better. Verse 18. Can I ask a question? Yeah, of course. If it, um, as it reads with the word together there, and he's been talking about our spirit and God's spirit joining our spirit. Right. Could that suffering together... The, the suffering, you know, the battles that we have within ourselves okay. to um, put down the urges of our spirit and, and suffer in that regard, giving way to God's spirit living more predominantly through us. Here's, here's another way to put it in accord with what you just asked. When we suffer in our battles against the, our flesh, our sinning flesh, Christ suffers with us. And it's the reason why he suffered to begin with. It's the reason why he suffered in the scourging and it's the reason why he suffered on the cross. Because we can't, Christ did. Because we can't, we cannot live perfect as as God demands. Christ suffered for us. So as we suffer in our struggle against the sinful man, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? As we struggle and suffer in this flesh against the flesh, Jesus, once and for all, suffered for us. You can also look at it slightly inverted. As we suffer in our against the sins that we commit, that we try not to, that we turn to Christ to help us not to, so also Christ suffers with us. So where does God get any glory in all this? Huh? Where does what? Where does God get any glory in all this? The glory is, is, is to God that God has made the way for the deliverance of those who are in Christ. But he keeps seeing us in constant battle mm-hmm. with ourselves. We are in constant battle with ourselves. Jesus has already won, won that victory. And is suffering and dying for all. He has won that victory. It is up to us to make contact with that victory, to establish a link to that victory by faith in Christ so that the, the effects of the cross, may, as he said earlier in an earlier chapter, may flow to us. The glory is in what God has already provided and then what we will do in response to that provision. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's the C.S. Lewis and Screwtape again. If God gives us free choice and we choose to glorify him and go through all this suffering because his son suffered for us, that's, that's pretty damn good glory. Yes, know? it is. It doesn't get much higher than that. Yeah, He's already suffered for us. And so if you want to look at it in human terms, yeah, you're glorifying yeah. God. That's because, what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. That's what you you're doing. the audience to which God's playing. He's playing to that mm-hmm. spiritual audience of beings that it's more glorifying even if you hobble to them. Still I've still got to wonder, though, online. Obviously, Paul's got a lot of theology going here, but he also gets very practical. And I'm wondering if he's saying, you know, you're in Rome, you're going to be suffering Christians. Mm-hmm. Part of what it means to be a Christian then and now is that you do suffer you have your own internal struggles against your sin nature and we depend upon Christ to get us out of that you suffer when you profess your faith before a mocking and disbelieving world which in the first century was through a threat alliance consider you an enemy of the state because you 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 proclaimed someone that the state put to death as your God. So there was the immediate reality of actual physical suffering. And when you suffer in this life in that way, 
Christ is suffering with you and actually suffered for you before it all. And what he is bearing there is in part because you're having to bear it now. Because he died for the sins of those who tortured the Christians and threw them to the lions. That's the hard part. In, in, in the human interpretation and, and acceptance of the gospel is the message that Jesus died not only for my sins as a sinner who come to Jesus as a believer, but also for the sins of those who are persecuting me. The early church actually professed that. And there are prayers of the early church martyrs who pray for those who are torturing them to death because Jesus died for them. Wow. And that's true. That was true all the way up to, and even, for example, in the Second World War. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer prayed for those German soldiers who executed him. He's a better person than I am. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Look all that glorification to God he was given. Well, that's an example of the Holy Spirit taking him and transforming him. And I would be, I would say, knowing you, that if you had reached that same point in your life, that you would do the same thing. It's what Jesus did on the cross. Yeah. Christ, though, I think if you think about it, it's, it's very humbling to know that you were chosen and you had the opportunity to respond mm -hmm. and see somebody who obviously is not and is persecuting and killing you, how fortunate you are and how unfortunate he is. And you pray that they have. <laughs> and, and how That's what that afterlife even though comes. he does it, it shows his own life, you would want him to eternally be saved, you know. And so it, it would be natural to, to pray that. You would pray, well, there's two levels. You would pray for that person who is persecuting you that they would have that which you have had the chance, which is to know Christ as Lord and Savior. That's the Holy Spirit functioning within you. Then there is a little bit of your own spirit which cries out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy, which also is in the midst of saying, I pray for this person who's torturing me that they will get it right now. <laughs> Do it right. And stop. <laughs> I'm sure that's a little bit part of it. But at the same time, um, uh, yeah, praying in that midst of suffering is really, really, really tough. Could we get um, your comments on some of that? Yes, let's do that before. If uh, let's not move on, let's just get let's get uh, get. A, I want to hear verses twelve through seventeen. We didn't do that. Okay, that's all right. No, it's here. Okay. So, dear brothers, you have no obligations whatever to your old sinful nature to do what it begs you to do. That's twelve. Did you say eleven? Go all the twelve through seventeen. Through 17. And for, oh, for if you keep on following it, you are lost and will perish. But if through the power of the Holy Spirit you crush it and its evil deeds, you shall live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And so we should not be like cringing, fearful slaves, but we should behave like God's very own children, adopted into the bosom of his family and calling to him. Father, Father. For his Holy Spirit speaks to us deep in our hearts and tells us that we really are God's children. And since we are his children, we will share his treasures. For all God gives to his son Jesus is now ours too. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Oh, I thought we were going to get away with that. Dang, that was so close. Well, <laughs> go back. It's right there. For and all read. God gives to Jesus, he gives to us. And that's, that's yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's not, that word, that. all. <laughs> that includes yeah. suffering. suffering. Dang, nabbit, Paul. <laughs> I want you to read verse 13 again. Okay. Words. 13. For if you keep on following it, meaning your old sinful nature, um, you are lost and will perish. But if 
Stop. You crush it if by the power of the Holy Spirit. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, if you crush it, if by the power of the Spirit you crush it, Actually, I like that. I mean, it's not a good translation from the Greek, but it puts the idea across. It puts that idea across functionally quite well. Wow. Does that mean if you're not successful at crushing it, you're going to have problems? I don't think that, I don't know if that's implied or not. But you won't suffer as much. <laughs> oh yes, you will. It's just, it's just a source of suffering. It's a timing issue. It's a timing issue. Maybe now or later. And the source and the source of suffering. The source of suffering and the theft of suffering. <laughs> there is no escape. Put it that way. It puts a little more incentive to do the crushing. I can see why other religions may have a problem with this one. But other religions do the same thing. Self-flagellation in a form of suffering is present oh, yeah. in multiple religions, not just ours. I think it's wrong to practice self-flagellation. You got enough suffering as exactly. it is, both internal and external. But that's kind of you don't need to add any more. They're doing that as a form of purification. I think I don't think they're doing it. And that's precisely what you would have the son of in, their god. And that's what you would have in suffering. a misinterpretation of that passage right there. Man, if I want to share in Jesus' sufferings and glory, I'd better suffer some too. Let's beat on myself. <laughs> nah, no. You know that. Yeah. He, yeah. he died on the cross for us. You know, so you should do all of that. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Jesus already did it. You know, Vernon. He did it for us already, so he, why should we? Vernon why should that. we beat on ourselves? Yeah, but he did that for us already. He bore it, so why should we do yeah. it to ourselves? We share in his sufferings in a different way. Yeah, yeah, we're beating up our own conscience and our own bodies and our own, own lives and, and everything else, trying to get past doing what screw tape's telling us to do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. What is the what Greek like? word for suffering? Yeah. Huh? What is the Greek, Greek word, word that translates suffering? In verse seventeen. <laughs> Sum pas homen. Not tribulation. Su pas homen, which is the root, what contains within it the root from which we get the word passion, mm-hmm. i.e., the passion of the Christ. Sum, the suffer with. Sum pas homen. So it could mean the. Uh the suffering that Jesus felt when you know he saw people not responding the suffering he felt <sighs> I mean he suffered then as well I mean, it was very painful for him to see them not responding when he hung on that cross and was derided and when he looked over the city of Jerusalem oh Jerusalem oh Jerusalem the prophets destroy you and how didn't, didn't he what we he wept. The suffering when he wept tears of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. I want to read one or two sentences into, verse, into the following verses as to close us. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. Now that right there is the proclamation of hope from Paul. That's that's where I wanted to leave us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will attain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We're going to pick up on this next time, but this is a powerful affirmation that the death of Christ on the cross 
and what it brings for us doesn't just stop with us, but it has an impact on the whole creation. But I want to go back and leave us with that verse 18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time, the sufferings of this present time, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. What we suffer in the here and now pales in significance compared with, if you could possibly compare it, with the glory that we will receive. And that suffering, I mean, that's that internal suffering, that's the struggle that we have to attain um, uh, the likeness of Christ, that struggle, that the fight against the old man of sin within that we're in the midst of is nothing compared to what we will become in Christ Jesus in glorification. So that struggle here, which is important, pales in significance when you compare it to what, what we will experience. Thank God. <laughs> Literally. Uh, that's a good way to end it. That's an amen. been listening to a Bible study by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of St. Stephen United Methodist Church and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2009 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information or to listen to other seminars, Bible studies, or sermons by Dr. Gregory Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at St. Stephen United Methodist Church, 2520 Oates Drive, Mesquite, Texas, 75150. This program was produced by Dr. Greg Neal.